Well, we've got a great opportunity in front of us, don't we, fellowship? The opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus right here in Fayetteville. We have a long relationship with Loving Choices. What a great ministry partner they are for us. They've got a location strategically right next to Fayetteville High School. And so I wanna encourage all of you, you can use your phone if you wanna hit that QR code and visit their website or you can go there later. But I wanna encourage you to visit Loving Choices' website and consider how we, as a body, can pray, can serve, and can give to these women and these babies. You know, our heart here at Fellowship is that no woman would walk through an unplanned or crisis pregnancy alone and no baby would go unloved or uncared for. And maybe for some of you, you're dealing with some difficult things in your own life or, or currently, and I just wanna remind you, fellowship is a place of healing and hope and grace. And so we have Celebrate Recovery on Friday nights to help you deal with some of the things that life has brought your way. We have a staff of licensed counselors in our care center that are just waiting to meet with you and help you process some of those things. And if you're dealing with some hurt or some pain, my wife Lee and I will be in the prayer room after the service today. We would love to just meet with you and just pray for you in that. And I wanna remind all of us that we want fellowship to be a place of love and grace. And so, let's all remember, whether face-to-face -face or online, let's be charitable. Let's bring the aroma of Christ to this conversation, even with those that maybe disagree with us. Because I think we all know the only hope for any of these things, including the things that are dividing our nation, is Jesus Christ and the gospel message. And so, Ryan, Kelly, will y'all lead us in a time of worship of our great God and King? Absolutely. Thanks, Michael. This morning, we get to continue our month of acoustic services, um, and I'm excited about this morning in particular. It's gonna be a little bit different because um, we're gonna do a split teaching, and Garland's gonna come up and he's gonna teach us through the passage from three different perspectives. And so there'll be kind of a lot of uh, back and forth, but excited for that. But we're gonna open with a new song, and Kelly, um, I would love for you to share um, kind of what this song has meant to you over the past few weeks. Yeah, uh, firstly, I just wanted to ask, has anyone here ever been on vacation and things took a turn, like went horribly wrong? Anyone? Like nod. Um, that happened to us a couple of weeks ago, and I won't get into that here today. If you catch me in the foyer, I'll tell you the story because I can laugh about it now. Um, but, so when that happened, I experienced this thing where I have these intense emotions that don't really match the situation. And a lot of times when that happens, I feel like it's because I've been carrying something previously to that moment. And I felt like in this moment, the Lord was just asking this question, Kelly, do you trust me to provide what, what you need? And if I'm honest in that moment, I was like, no, mm -mm, I don't. And a couple of weeks before that, at Tuesday night Bible study, we were studying um, the story in the Bible where God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac. And we learned that that's not just a story about Abraham's obedience, but it's a story about God's ability to provide what was needed in the moment. And so I felt like even then, God was planting this question in my heart that was processing, do you trust me to provide what's needed in the moment? 
And then we're learning this song that we're going to teach you today, which a lot of times God does with me and music, is he'll give me a song that's kind of my companion through my spiritual journey. And so if you all will stand with us, we're going to teach you this song written by Brooke uh, Ligert Wood, and it's called Honey in the Rock, and it's based on this psalm, Psalm 81:16, that says, but he would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. Isn't that awesome? I just think that's an incredible psalm. So if you all pick it up, please sing it with us. There's honey in the rock, water in the stone, been on the ground, no matter where I go. I don't need to worry now that I know everything I need you got. There's honey in the rock Praying for a miracle Thirsty for a living world Only you can satisfy Sweetness at the mercy seat Now I'll taste it only you, only you can satisfy. There's honey, there's honey in the rock. There's honey in the rock. There's honey in the rock. There's honey in the rock.
standing for God's word. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what, do you do? now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. How are we? Y'all enjoy that cool, brisk 92 day yesterday as it let off on us a little bit. Nice, cool 92. Um, I'm Garland. Great to be with you uh, this morning. A little bit of a strange question, not to go kind of weird or morbid on you here, but let, let me ask you, can you think of an occasion in your life, time in your life, when you were just flat out caught, like just busted, just caught red-handed, exposed, it came to light, you were had. I'll give you a couple in, in my life, uh, a couple recent. Uh, a few weeks ago, we drove down to the beach, and uh, we were driving back from the beach, and uh, we were somewhere between like Jackson, Mississippi, and like Lake Village, Arkansas, somewhere in there where the roads turn from you know, wide four-lane roads down to two-lane kind of highway roads. And uh, I'll be honest, my wife had warned me a couple of times. She'd said, I don't like the speed you're driving, and uh, I, I said, okay, you're, you're right, you're right. Well, then she fell asleep. And so she's napping in the seat there. And uh, I'll be honest, I wasn't really paying attention. You know, the speed limit goes from like 70 down to 55. And uh, I've never actually had this happen before. But I kind of went, uh, went around a curve. And I, I wasn't really looking exactly down the, way down the road. But coming at me, I've never had this happen, in the other lane, there was a police officer, and about a half a mile in the distance, coming at me, not sitting, but coming at me, I saw blue lights come on. And I was like, well, that can't be about me. There's gotta be something back behind me. And he passed me, and then he turned around. There's nobody on this road, you know, turned around and came at me, and I just pulled over. And before I even got there, I just said, I just had my license registration, and I was caught. Just busted. When I was a kid, maybe my most embarrassing moment of my life, it was in ninth grade, and uh, 
uh, we had a computer, and if you had a computer back then, it was a big, bulky desktop that everybody put in the middle of their living room for some reason. So we had this big computer, and I'm in ninth grade, and I was looking at things on the internet that I shouldn't be looking at, let's put it that way. And they're in the living room, and uh, this was back when you had dial-up internet, so if you're not old enough, you would plug your phone into your computer, and then you'd get internet somehow. I don't exactly know how that worked, but uh, here I am, and I'm looking at things that I shouldn't be looking at on the internet, and I got bold in, uh, in my sin there, and so bold and so brash about it that I, I had printed one of these images, and we had one of these black and white printers that would go back and forth like this, like that, but then I forgot, and I went outside to play basketball, and about an hour and a half goes by, my mom calls me, says, hey, come in here, and I walk in, and I go to the kitchen table, and I don't even notice at this point. I've completely forgotten about it. There's a piece of paper sitting on the table. She turns it over, and she goes, what's this? And I was caught. I was humiliated in that moment. I remember to this day, more recent. A few nights ago, my wife and I were having a, wasn't a full-on like, like fight. We were just having a little conflict, and I swore that I was in the right like I swore that she was just being selfish and she wasn't listening to me and she wasn't meeting my needs. And uh, here it is, like 11.45, we're laying in bed, it's dark, and I'm kind of mad. And as we begin to talk about why we're here, she points out essentially that the only reason that we're here is because I was being completely selfish and ridiculous. 11.45, I'm, I've rolled over to the other side, facing away from her, and she, and she says it, and I went, oh. No, that's actually right. I was caught. It was me being completely selfish. That was like six nights ago. We're gonna see in our story this morning a woman, and she's caught red-handed. And the text doesn't equivocate about it either. She's exposed her brokenness, her worst moment brought to light. And we're gonna see Jesus interact with this woman in our story. It's a famous story. If you have your Bibles, open it with me. I want you to open whatever you got, a digital device, a, a Google it, uh, your paper Bible, whatever you got. I want you to see, turn with me to John chapter eight. We're gonna be in John eight, one to 11. And what we wanna do is we wanna, we're gonna experience this passage this morning. We're not gonna teach it so much. It's gonna be a little bit different, uh, as Ryan already said. But I want you to notice, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to it for a reason. Your Bible, the editors of your Bible, are going to be alerting you. So look at your Bible, your paper Bible or whatever you've got, your phone. They're gonna be alerting you about the passage that we're gonna be looking at this morning, starting in chapter seven, verse 53, and all the way to the end of this passage in eight, chapter, uh, chapter eight, verse 11. They're gonna be trying to get your attention. Something like italics or asterisks or brackets, some, some Bibles even have double brackets, and there's gonna be footnotes and all sorts of things, alarm bells going off. Okay, what's going on here? Now, if, you're gonna, if you look down at your footnote, almost all of your Bibles, I would guess, have some kind of a footnote that will say something like this. Early manuscripts, or the best manuscripts, do not include chapter 753 through 811. In fact, what we're gonna see is it moves around even in some of the manuscript Tradition. Now, hard pause here. July 10th, and some of you were like, manuscript tradition? What are we talking about here? I don't even want to hear anything about that. Okay, we don't have time to go into it now. 
But if you are here and you're going, I, you just, I don't know about this. I feel uneasy about this. Why is this saying this? We, we spent a few weeks, uh, a few minutes a few weeks ago talking about this when we were in John chapter five. And if you're going, I need some more than what we're gonna do this morning, go to Sermon Notes Podcast. It's the podcast that follows along with our teachings here on Sunday morning. We spent about 15 minutes talking about papyrus. Some of you are like, yes, finally. Most of you don't care, okay? So, but if you're going, I need some help here, then please go listen to Sermon Notes this week. And if you're going, I still need more help, Email me, come find me, I'd love to chat. I'd love to get coffee. Uh, I don't want you to see this, uh, these italics or these brackets and go, now I can't trust my Bible, but we don't have time to get into it this morning, okay? Here's what we might say. Almost all New Testament scholars agree that it is very unlikely that John wrote these words in the original Gospel of John, Okay? Many New Testament scholars think that this story, this famous story of the woman caught in adultery, is a true story of Jesus that was passed down in an oral tradition and later scribal traditions included it here in John's gospel. So can we be certain that this was part of John's original manuscript? No. If we find more manuscript evidence, maybe we'll change that opinion. Can we be can we see it likely? This is a true story that really happened. Yeah, I think there's reason for that. Now, that doesn't answer all of our questions. I get that. And if you have them, please let us know. Don't, don't walk out of here with a huge doubt in your head without coming to talk to one of us. We'd love to process that with you. But let's look at the story because it's a beautiful, beautiful story. We're gonna see this story from three different lenses, from three different perspectives. The woman the religious leaders, and then Jesus. First, let's look at that story through the lens of this woman. Can you imagine your worst moment publicly exposed? I mean, imagine your worst moment, and we get, we get knowledge of that, and we bring you up here. Can you imagine? What is she thinking in this story? as she looks around, and the religious, respectable leaders of her people, the people that everybody else looks to for advice, they've picked up rocks to kill her. What's going through her mind? Imagine the fear. Imagine the anxiety. Imagine the shame. The text does not try to evade it. Not only is she being accused of adultery, they've caught her in the very act. The text doesn't try to rescue her out of it. No, 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 she really didn't do it. No, she's guilty. And now they've brought her as a public, as a public display of their ability to try to trap Jesus. They're using her as a ploy to trap Jesus. You might not know anything about Jesus, This would-be prophet figure, who is this guy? I know he's somebody respectable. I know they're kind of nervous about him, and they brought me before this guy. I imagine her with her head down, her eyes to the floor, the shame welling up inside of her. And you know what often comes on the backside of our shame is that desire to, to hide and conceal. And yet for her, her darkest moments 
have been brought out to the light. I'm sure she's frustrated because in the Torah, the man is supposed to be here as well, but they've only brought her forward. She's going, this isn't fair. I wanna run, I wanna hide, I'm terrified, and the shame begins to well up. And here's what we're gonna do. I told you it's gonna be a little bit of a different morning. We wanna put ourselves in the shoes of the woman. It's a little strange. It's summer, July 10th. And what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna take a few moments here. Before we do anything else, look any, before we look at the beauty of what Jesus does in the passage, we wanna identify with the woman in the story. We're gonna spend a few moments here in doing what we call as followers of Jesus, confession. For you and for me, we're gonna take a few minutes here. If you were to stand before the Holy King, what would you need to confess? Don't go back years, don't go back decades. I'm just talking the last 10 to 14 days. What dark things in your heart, in your mind, in your relationships would you want desperately to hide and never be brought to the light? You know what confession is? It's us just bringing it to the light. It's us taking our shame and our wounds and our compromises and just bringing them to the light. So if you're a Jesus follower in the room, in a minute I'm gonna pray. We're gonna give you time and me time just to simply reflect, to bring those things to the light. If you're not a Jesus follower in the room, you can just kind of watch us. It's, it's confession, it's a little weird. I know you may be going, I don't really get this. This is for people in the room who are Jesus followers say, this is my shame and Jesus, I need your help with it. Maybe for the very first time you could say, Jesus, I don't know what to do with this part of my story, but I need your help with it. So, the last 10 to 14 days, what do you need to confess before a holy God? Maybe for you it's a big, glaring, easy thing to spot. What compromises with the world are you making? What flirtation with sin do you find yourself dabbling in? Where have you been loose with your words? Where do you find yourself in open rebellion against God, saying, I don't wanna follow that? What secret sin are you hiding? Let's take a minute here and we're gonna bring it to the light. Christians in the room, I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes and bow your head. I told you it's gonna be a different morning. We're gonna experience this, this, uh, this passage. Close your eyes and bow your head and we're gonna fade the lights down and it's gonna give us all a moment here to confess. Let's do that. Jesus, you're the holy king. God in the flesh the great I am. And so we come before you recognizing our great need. So we confess. We thank you that the words of Scripture say that if we confess our sin, our brokenness, our compromise, all of that, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness because we have a mediator with the Father. But now we come before you, we confess to you. So I know 
that we want to see this story through. We have the broken woman who's caught. We're gonna see Jesus in a moment. There's one more group in the story, notice it. We're told that they're the scribes and the Pharisees. The the religious and political leaders centered in Jerusalem. Who are are these people? What's this group called the Pharisees? What's their movement about? See, the Pharisees were a political and religious ideology, mostly centered in Jerusalem, and it was their aim to 
convince the people, starting with themselves, to, to follow the Torah perfectly, to try to live up to the legal requirements of the Torah, and to, to get the rest of the nation to do so as well, so that by, by being obedient to the Torah, it would force Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, to come and to, to bless them, to liberate, from their, liberate, liberate them from their enemies and set them free and bring them their nation back. And they were a powerful movement. Many people saw them as, as heroes. Who were the scribes? They're not just copyists. Scribes are also legal experts in the Torah. They're experts in the law. Many of the scribes were in the Pharisee group. And you've got this group of religious leaders, and we're going to see it's not just the woman that needs to confess in our story. It's not just the woman that needs to look inside, but it's this group as well. You see, this Pharisee group, these religious leaders of Israel in Jesus' day, they were masters of religion. What I mean by that is they were desperately seeking to by their own performance, by their own willpower, by their own self-determination, they were seeking to overcome their evil desires and to faithfully obey God. And they meant to measure up to it. But in so doing, in their performing that God would then be required to come and bless them, they found themselves looking at those that didn't measure up, that didn't perform as well, and they looked at them as enemies, as agitators. They looked at them with scorn. I mean, think about it. This group is so passionate about performing for Yahweh and working the law and working the Torah and scorning those who don't that they've picked up rocks. This is gonna be a violent scene to bludgeon this woman, till she bleeds to death. That's how zealous they are for the law, for their status. Now, let's look at this story through their eyes. This woman is the opposite of everything this group sets themselves out to be. She's dangerous. She's threatening everything they're trying to build. And in their zeal and in their performing, they've become self-righteous. And they look down their nose at this woman. And Jesus sees it. He sees them. Now, I think it's easy for us. You know, we're familiar with, the, a lot of you are familiar with the Bible, the New Testament. I think it's easy for us to look at the Pharisees and go, of course, they're the bad guys. Yeah, of course, we know we're not supposed to like them. Pharisees come on the scene, boo, Jesus, yeah. And we see the Pharisees, and that's what we're, tra we're trained to think. And we can look at them and say, man, they're the really bad guys. Nobody could be like that in real life, but wait, wait. I think the very same water Pharisees often drink, this water of self-righteousness and performance, I think we can sometimes seek it 
and gulp it down. Especially, by the way, if you grew up like I did in the South, in church, it could become really easy to turn this whole thing into, well, we're all trying to perform well before a holy God, do the moral things and avoid the bad things, do all the good things, and in the end, God owes us a a healthy, happy, good life. It's the same poison well that the Pharisees are drinking from. And it can lead to a a self-righteousness on our part. Instead of seeing this woman with any compassion or empathy, looking inward at themselves and going, man, I've been there too, I'm prone to that too, they pick up stones. So before we turn and look at Jesus and see the good news, we need to also confess our self-righteousness. How do you know you might be drinking from that water? If a few minutes ago when we gave space for us to confess, the obvious stuff, the, sh- the stuff that's probably easier to go, I can see that shame. If you were sitting there going, I can't think of very much. And maybe instead you were thinking, well, I know somebody that needs to confess. Elbow, spouse, right? You very well may be drinking from that water. If you're here and you find yourself looking down your nose in in scorn, with zero compassion to people that don't sound like you or don't perform like you or don't talk like you, it may be indication, an indication you're drinking from that water. Let's make it even harder. If those that struggle or find themselves in hard circumstances or broken circumstances, maybe even because of their actions, because of their decisions, if you see those consequences, maybe because they vote differently than you or they look differently than you and you see that in them and you, you kind of well up with satisfaction, well, they got what was coming. You almost rejoice a little bit at their brokenness. You're probably drinking from some of that water. You might as well pick up a rock. Maybe worse yet, do you feel like this whole Christianity thing is how can you perform, look right for God? And your whole, maybe for years, I know for me, the first several years of following Jesus, that's what I thought this was, was a, moral game of posturing before God and others, and it's nasty, and it's empty, and it's anxiety-filled. And I know for many of us in the room, we could go years drinking that water down. So we're going to pause now. Earlier, we confessed our, just our shame and our brokenness. Now, can we confess our self-righteousness, confess our performing for God? So give us a moment. Bow your head. Close your eyes. We need this. I know it's weird. We need this. Let me pray for you and for me. Father, we need time to confess, to bring to the light these things in our heart. Sometimes they're subtle. Sometimes they're really obvious. Bring them before you because only then can your grace wash over them. So right now, Father, we come before you, a holy God, and we confess all of our posturing and performing and demanding that you respond to us with a good, happy, blessed life. We can feel like we've earned it. 
all those ways that we've been our own saviors and not look to you, all those ways we fail to trust you but try to pull ourselves up by our own strength, our self-reliance, and our self-righteousness. We come before you and confess it now. gift of grace is Jesus my redeemer there is no more for heaven now to give he is my joy my righteousness and freedom my steadfast love my deep and boundless peace to this I hope, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing, oh, it's mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. I can see 
time to confess, but I'll, I'll admit the, the Pharisees and the scribes, they really do have Jesus in a vice here. This is a really good trap on their part. Here, here's the trap. It's, it's smart. Here's the trap. On the one hand, Jesus can say, no, 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 no. Okay, hold on. Let her go. Let's, let's, not, inf- let's not take the Deuteronomy passage and apply it here. Set, set her free. She, she can go. Then the religious leaders in front of all the people gather can say, look, he's lied on the law. He doesn't take the law seriously. He's claiming to be a leader of Israel, but he didn't even follow or obey the Torah. Look at this guy. He's a joke. Or Jesus can say, carry on. She's guilty. I want to take the law seriously. I don't want to look like I'm weak on the law. So yes, go forward with this. But then they'll have him with the Romans, you see, because only the Romans had the authority to put somebody to death. So now they'll have him on insurrection. They could say, look, this Jesus guy is leading a violent insurrection, claiming the kind of authority that only Rome has. What are you gonna do, Pilate? It's smart. But I want you to see this scene as Jesus, as Jesus sees it. He sees the two characters. We're gonna talk about the woman in a minute. But what does he do? Look at the story. It's famous. He doesn't do what I would do. The text says they're trying to trap him, and he can see it. And if I'm Jesus, and I'm the, the son of God, and I've got power, and I see a trap coming, you know what I'm doing? I'm calling lightning down to blast them. 
Like, I'm like, are you kidding me? Come on. He doesn't yell at them. He doesn't speak angry at them. He actually even sees them with a measure of compassion. Look at what he does. He bends down and begins writing in the sand. Now, this has baffled scholars for centuries. Here's why. We don't know what he wrote. We don't actually know. And different commentaries and different scholars have their idea. I've got my guess as to what it is, but they're all just guesses. Don't you want to know? Like, I, don't want to, I can't wait to one day figure out, what did you write? Now, what we do know is what he wrote coupled with what he said when he stood up. It was effective. He looks at this angry mob of religious and political leaders and says, the famous line, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. And then you know the story. One by one, from the oldest to the youngest, throw their rocks in, just walk off. It's masterful. Now, in the ancient Roman world, it's a really big deal to have somebody confront you publicly with a very difficult either political or theological issue, and then to be able to navigate, navigate that with expertise, that's a sign of great wisdom in the ancient Roman world. And Jesus handles it masterfully. I mean, any reader of this in the ancient world would go, man, that dude, that dude is really, really wise. Man, that's brilliant. And we kinda, it kind of goes over our head a little bit because we wanna get to the, story about, the part about the woman. But this is masterful on Jesus' part. He challenges their self-righteousness. One by one, they throw their stones in. Now, it doesn't say that they all necessarily walk away. Then I can still see what happens. And he turns to the woman. And I don't know how you'd be feeling, but if I'm her, I'm probably going, what in the world is going on? This, okay, who is this guy? Because this could get really bad. If all of them listen to him, he must be really special. He could throw a stone. Be ready, be ready. And he walks over. And look at the grace of God. Jesus, our king, he lifts her head. Look around. Is there anyone here to condemn you? And for the first time she speaks in our story, she says, no, no one, no one. You can hear Jesus' reply. He says, neither do I. Neither do I. Now, leave your life of sin. It's a great translation by the NIV. From no longer be sinning, present tense verb. Leave your life of sin. This is a very interesting comment that Jesus makes. I think many of us were expecting the first half of this comment. Go. Your sins are forgiven. I don't condemn you. I think for many of us, that's the Jesus that we like right there especially kind of my age and down, millennials and down. We love the Jesus. It's all about like giving us grace and letting us off the hook. And the Jesus that we can sometimes have in our mind is a Jesus who's like, hey, you figure out who you wanna be and you do self-actualization and I'm kind of right here along with you and I'm gonna amen what you decide and I want your life to be happy and I'm here to just say, you're awesome and I love you, do whatever you wanna do and in the end, I'm gonna forgive you, go have at it. 
We, don't, we would never say it that way. But oftentimes we can think that. It's the, it's the Jesus of all grace, meek and mild. And certainly he looks at this woman and says, then I don't condemn you either. But he says something else. Notice it. He says, leave your life of sin. Leave it. You see, Jesus is inviting her to another way to be human, a different way to experience life, a different way to find joy. And it's walking step by step with him, following him, yielding to him, trusting him, obeying him. And he says, follow me, leave your life of sin, come follow me, and you'll find life. It's not just do what you want and I'll grace you in the end, but he also invites us to true joy. How is it that Jesus can both look at this guilty woman and say, you're forgiven, and also lead us to a life of joy? Well, we're gonna see later on in the story. Later on in this gospel account, another person with an angry mob around them, angry to the point of violence and death, except this time it's an innocent person who's done nothing wrong. And this time, no one comes to his defense. No one writes in the sand. No one steps forward and says, let he who's without sin cast the first stone. No, instead they will yell, crucify, crucify, crucify. And he'll be led up a hill and like a rebel crucified next to two others. But there, the innocent for the guilty, the king for his rebellious subjects, there, Jesus can speak over that woman and over you and over me. No one condemns you. There is no longer any condemnation for you. Now, come follow me. I'm conquering sin and death. Come follow me and find joy. Come follow me and leave that life behind you that's full of over-promising and under-delivering, chasing the, your pleasure and your happiness and your joy and a thousand other things. Follow me and find life. There and only there can Jesus speak both of those over us. You're cleansed. Now go in freedom and experience the life following me because I've already defeated sin and death on your behalf. So, followers of Jesus in the room. In the last 10 to 14 days, have you reveled in this story? The gospel message, has it melted your heart to the point of wanting to weep? Has it melted your heart to the point where you just wanna stand and sing and celebrate it? Has it melted your heart in such a way that you just gotta tell people around you? If it hasn't, may I call you and me to it now. That's why we gather, after all, to be reminded of our good king to celebrate him for who he is and what he's done on our behalf. So I'm gonna pray, and when I say amen, my invitation to you is that we would stand and we would marvel in the goodness of the gospel this morning and be reminded of what he's done for us, shall we? Let's pray. Jesus, you are our king, and we give you the honor, not us. We give you the glory for your grace. 
We thank you that you can wash clean even our most broken moments and cleanse us of our most disgusting shame and free us from our performance and our anxiety to finally find hope in you. So Jesus, right now, we turn to you because you alone are worthy of it. We pray this in your name, our holy king. Amen. Would you stand? Let's sing together. That's good news, church. Let's sing one more song. Sing the song, Oh, Praise the Name, and let's respond in worship this morning. I cast my mind to Calvary for Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior. His body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance by heavy stone, Messiah still and all. Get out, church. Don't praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will sing your praise, oh Lord, oh church, sing it loud. Oh, praise the 
Those words, Jesus, as true and as powerful as they were then, they are today. Is there anyone here to condemn you? Neither do I. Because of what I'm doing on the cross and in my resurrection to defeat sin and death, and speak that for me and for us gathered here to celebrate that nearly 2,000 years later in the same same way. Now leave your life of sin. Powerful words for me and for us today. We trust you. We'll follow you. No matter where you lead us, because you're our good king. Lay down your life for the people. Jesus, we give you the glory, the honor, and the praise today and with our lives, for you're worthy of it. It's in your name as our king we pray. Amen. If you need prayer, right through those doors, let us pray with you. Fellowship Fayetteville, we love you. See you next week.